All right, the title of my message this morning, Unique Hurt, with an exclamation point after hurt, but humble. Hurt, but humble. Now it's going to take a little while before you figure out what in the world does that message have to do with where he's preaching right now and what he's reading, because we're going to start in the 14th chapter of Matthew at verse 22. What it to me is so incredibly intriguing, powerful, wonderful as I read through the Gospels to realize that each of these were individuals. Everybody say individuals. We are individuals. We're unique creations, each one of us. And we all can see things, experience things a little differently. Wouldn't you say? Maybe even a lot differently. So, and I want, to, uh, I want to point that out in the three Gospels in which this story is told. Some of the, some of the differences and some of the things that stand out. I was thinking a lot of times... Um, I can preach a sermon, Pastor Tim can preach, Pastor Rich can preach a sermon, and somebody come up afterwards and go, oh, that was so, th- this part, it's like, and explain what, how they were affected and what this meant to them, and it's like, that wasn't even about that. And that happens a lot. It's kind of interesting, uh, the other day, uh, a friend of mine I was talking to on the phone and, and said, oh, it doesn't matter what you say, you know, Holy Spirit will straighten it out for you. It's like, huh, doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> and sometimes that's pretty accurate. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll, we'll start with, you know, this, 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 this is where Jesus fed 5,000 people with some barley loaves and a couple of fish that, that a young boy had. And knowing that, everyone's heard the story multiple times about the loaves and the fishes, the loaves and the fishes. There were 5,000 men and a bunch of women and kids as well. And they were there. They found themselves out in the middle of nowhere, and they were hungry. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, they tried to send them away. They couldn't figure out where to send them, what they're going to do to feed them. And he said, ended up having them take a look around. And somebody brought, Andrew, I think, brought the some loaves and fishes that a young boy had. And so the disciples, they broke those into pieces and they served 5,000 men, women, and however many women and children. And I want to start with right afterwards, the verse 20, after they were finished. So they ate, were filled, and then they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. That would be verse 20 in chapter 14. 21, now that those who had eaten were about... 5,000 men besides women and children. And then verse 22, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him, before him, like they're leaving before Jesus does, and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening had come, he was alone there. That's what he was looking for. That's what he wanted. That's what his desire was, to get alone with God. He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to him walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. They cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. When Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, they, meaning Peter and Jesus, got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out unto all the surrounding region to bring to him all who were sick. And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Mm. As we were reaching for the hem of his garment this morning. It's beautiful. Uh, the part that's interesting in this particular gospel of Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. He was a bean counter. He kind of kept track of details, right? Wouldn't you say? Pretty much a detail guy. So uh, this was, was his depiction. And Matthew, was, he was totally captivated by Peter jumping out of the boat, walking on the water, losing his faith, sinking in the water, being rescued by Jesus. They got in the boat together, and then what happened? The wind ceased. The, ocean, or the, the, the seas became still. The lake, the waves, the... Uh, became completely still, and then they made their way to the other side. The big focus on this was like, wow, did you see what Peter did? This was amazing. And then when Jesus got in the boat, that was really amazing too. And he was walking on the water. So three of the miracle things that, that transpired there, uh, Matthew is speaking of. Now I want to I go to Mark. Mark, sixth chapter. Going to read through the same thing and just look a little bit differently. It was a, a lot the same, but somewhat different in that, well, you'll see. Let's just read Mark 6, beginning at 45. Uh, oh, we'll begin at 43. They took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. He didn't mention women and children on this one. But immediately, he, capital H, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, to Beth, yeah, to, to, yeah, to Beth. <laughs> while he sent the multitude away again. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out. I mean, they were afraid. 
For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to him, not exactly the same as what we read in the last, be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Interesting the difference already, huh? They just, they were just baffled, they were amazed, they marveled when Jesus came into the boat, but they all missed Peter jumping in the, is that not interesting to you? It's like, wow, somebody really focused on Peter, somebody else is really focusing on, oh, this is an absolute marvel when he got into the boat, that it ceased, they were greatly amazed, and beyond measure, and they marveled, for they, if they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately people recognized him. Ran through the whole surrounding region, began to carry about on beds, the people, carry out on beds who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, begged him that they might just touch the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Close, huh? Pr- pretty close there. Now I want to go to, I want to go to John, sixth chapter of John. See, John definitely saw things a little differently. I think John was a, was the self-described the one that we pretty much think of as the, the disciple that Jesus loved? Everybody kind of think that John was the disciple that Jesus loved? At least John thought he was the disciple that Jesus loved. But I kind of think that, that John had a little bit of an insight. Either there was something to that, or Jesus shared some things with him, or by having his, if he's the one who had his head on the chest of Jesus when they were having meals and stuff, that he pretty much understood the heart of Jesus. Either that or, or, or Jesus had his ear. He had Jesus' ear. Because, let, okay, let's read. See what I'm talking about here. John's uh, sixth chapter, beginning at verse 13. Therefore they gathered, after they'd eaten, after they fed the 5,000, therefore they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who'd eaten. Now, no fish in this one, just barley loaves. Fish are more likely to spoil, I guess. They didn't gather them. So then those men, when they heard, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, truly, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Like, Immediately after they gathered the loaves in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus took the disciples to the boats, loaded them in the boat, and dispersed the crowd. Listen to what John saw. Therefore they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived 
that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. It's like, from, from John's perspective, the, they gave up waiting on him. They went down, got into the boat, went over the sea towards Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not come to them. So they decided on their own, it's time to go, boys. Load up and let's hit the, hit the oars. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to him, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. <laughs> Translated... <laughs> We saw last week or two weeks ago an Old Testament translation where, uh, by the prophet, and now immediately when they loaded in the boat, they were on the other side. How do you explain that? Well, it got really quiet. I believe, I'm going to tell you, here's, here's, here's what, what I believe, is that sometimes when, when you're in and under the incredible a power, a supernatural experience, the things you see, the things that you remember, might end up being a little differently than what somebody else sees, what, what is highlighted to somebody else. This makes sense? And so... <laughs> Seems like in, this, in, in Mark and in John, it's like, oh, that goofy Peter, that goofy, impetuous uh, Peter, he jumped out of the boat and we, we had to save him, so that was like no big deal. That was just goofy on his part. So they weren't even, that, that, didn't, that had no impact on them. But the significant impact was when Jesus climbed in the boat and the, the waves stopped. The waves died down. This is a man that can actually speak to the waves. This is the man that can speak to the weather. And the weather obeys him. The sea obeys him. It's like, yes, yes, this is significant. This was big to all of them. But what do you think about the first two? They were so caught up they didn't even realize that immediately they were at the shore. Yeah? If you were there, what would stand out to you? I, I just think, you know, in a supernatural experience, I just again say, you can ask two people when we've gone, gone to conferences and, and seen and heard, and it's like two people can experience something totally different. Same God, different experience. Everybody say, same God, different experience. That's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. And to call somebody, that's crazy. That, you know, that, he's got to be wrong. He's got to be right. It's like, no. Same God, different experience. And as they experience, like I said, we are each unique individuals. And God's going to deal with us. He's going to show us. He's going to teach us in his own way. Something that we see, that we understand, and that we can process. Makes sense so far. Now I'm going to tell you a, a, 
throw a, a story of my own in here that uh, I've shared with you before the, the Nacho story. My friend Nacho meeting in his office with him, uh, the first time I was ever in his office, uh, met with him, we went in there. He was actually, actually hungry for the Lord. He just wasn't absolutely sure what all he was hungry for. But the presence of God came, and, and uh, the Father's heart, we stood in front of what I described as a glass wall in this office. I distinctly remembered standing in front of a glass wall where the people on the other side of the wall could see through that wall. They could see what we were doing in there. And as I prayed over him, and we just stood there and hugged him so he could just experience Father's love for a long time. Then ended up praying over him where he fell out onto, onto the desk. And, and, and I'm realizing as I, I look behind my back through this, from my perspective, glass wall, I'm looking and seeing that you know there were people kind of doing this from their desks. Because you can see in the cubbies the desks from, from there. And I was there just a few weeks ago in the office, I think for the second time. And I walked in there, and, and this time there was a couch couple chairs, and I sat on that couch, and I, and I turned and looked at, at that glass wall. It's like, what happened? That glass wall was probably a six-foot-wide window by about five feet tall, and it had a blind covering it up. It's like, wait a minute. I know that was a glass wall four years ago. Glass wall. And I've told that story numerous times, that be on the other side of this glass wall. And this time I sat there, I looked up over my shoulder, and I reached the blind, and I looked, and it's like, oh my goodness, that's a vinyl window. <laughs> and I was thinking, how in the world, I would have if I was a betting man, I would have bet $1,000. I could take you there, I could show you that glass wall, and, and, and explain this whole story, and it's like, it was a window. So when I got an opportunity, it took probably a week before I ever actually got Nacho alone. I said, Nacho, when did you remodel? He said, what are you talking about? When did you fill that in and change that to a, a vinyl window? Because they don't have a lot of vinyl windows there in, in Mexico. And he goes, what? It's like, Nacho, when did you do that? I haven't been in here for three or four years. When did you fill that in and, and, and change that and put a blind up there? He said, oh, the blind. Yeah. He said, I didn't do any remodel. I really don't know what you're talking about. It's like, huh? Now, let me just tell you from the, from the old lens perspective, I used to be about 15 years ago, maybe a little longer, maybe a little less, really judgmental. And if somebody did something like that, and I would go in there and see that after somebody telling me a story, it's like, well, I can probably only believe about half of what you say now. You following me? How I could judge somebody so quickly, yet from my perspective, <laughs> there's no doubt that's, that, that's what that was. And and I had to ask him three times just to make sure that there wasn't a breakdown in communication between Spanish and English, that somewhere we had a breakdown. He's like, nope, did you forget? I lease this building. I'm not going to do something like that. It's like, wow. 
And then I was talking to the Lord about that this morning, and, and, and I, I just heard very clearly, it's like, <clears throat> what, <clears throat> that was like, <clears throat> that was like a prophetic look, Lynn. It's like, how so? Like the things that, <clears throat> the things that now take place in that office are going to be so highlighted, it's going to be as if people are looking through a glass wall into a glass house by what I'm going to do to this young man and how it's going to change his surrounding. That's what you saw. It's like, oh, wow. Because there was no doubt in my mind there was a glass wall right there. It's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He spent about three or four days with us uh, a couple weeks ago, and God so touched him, so touched him while he was here. And he came to visit the church one of those days, and everybody that, that greeted him here, so you're Nacho, so you're Nacho. He went away feeling so loved, so special. And he shared that with us, that, man, I just love it there. Those people are amazing. Those people are awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you treated my friend Nacho. People are different. <laughs> okay, uh, how far did we get? John 6.13, we we're going to keep reading uh, John 6.13 through 21. On the following day, 22, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no boat there anymore, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the people are, are kind of trying to figure this out. It's like, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats, and they came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Everybody say, seeking Jesus. Seeking Jesus. That's what they came for. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? It's like, how in the world we saw that boat go, the disciples were in the boat. You weren't in the boat. No other boat left from here till this morning. How did you get there? How are you here? And Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, not because it was an incredible supernatural event, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Like, You know, I think that... In our society today, even much more than in Jesus' time, one of the things that we are constantly trying to do is figure out how to explain naturally, how to understand naturally what happened in a supernatural event. We just want to know, like, how did that, how did you, I need to be able to explain that. 
how did this happen? And he just like, well, let me just tell you. He answered him and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He said, you weren't after me because I have come from the Father. You weren't after me because of signs, wonders, and miracles. You were just after me for something to serve your flesh. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Work, work, work. And Jesus answered him and said, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. What's the work of God? Believe in Jesus. What's the work of God? He was sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it so that we can believe you? What work will you do? <laughs> Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it was written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses didn't do squat. <laughs> Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, gives life to this world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. It's like, we are welcome. <laughs> we are welcome. We come to him, there's no way he will cast us out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he's given me, I should, not lo I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have, may have, everlasting life. may have, and I will raise him up at that last day. Then the Jews murmured against him. Yeah, because he had said, I'm the bread, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Is this not Jesus, the man? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? They were questioning his identity right there. 
Jesus therefore answered and said to him, Don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's like, you know, sometimes that's just about where we can feel like complete failures when we're working on somebody, where we're trying to get somebody to give their life to Jesus, and we think that is our responsibility to make that happen, and Jesus makes it really clear. He takes some of that pressure off. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Then I'll raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to, to Jesus, to me, Jesus speaking. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, which is Jesus. He's seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has... I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and there... They're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews then started quarreling among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Believing in Jesus, we are granted access into the eternal kingdom. Jesus is saying very clearly, very, very clearly, I am. Next scripture, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying he's all we need. He is our sustenance is in him. If we trust him, if we believe him, Seek first, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything you need will be added to you. When Jesus becomes our everything, we are in complete alignment with what the Father desires of us. I'm the way, the direction to heaven. How? Through Jesus. I am the truth. What's truth? Truth is Jesus. Truth is every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Truth is every action that Jesus did. Every miracle that Jesus did. Truth, truth, truth. And the life, eternal life, beginning today, is in Jesus Christ. We know it. We believe it. Are we established in that? 
those stones, the stones, the rock of our salvation, the stone that keeps our heads way above water, standing on that rock of Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. First Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God, one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. One God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. John 13.35 By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's like, you know, I shared this, probably not less. You have love, you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's like we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but what's incredibly important is that we have the love for the body of Christ, for his disciples, that we have additional grace for the body of Christ, for those that are his disciples. Because how many know, like Luke 17, 1, it says, Jesus said, offense will come. <laughs> You're going to be offended at some point, at some time. And you're going to be offended by one of your brothers or sisters from the church, by one of the pastors, by one of the, uh, <laughs> by a team leader, by somebody that's supposed to be following you. You will end up offended. Is that not right? How many people here this morning have not been hurt or offended in church at one time or another? Well, I think I'm speaking to the right crowd this morning then. Hurt but humble. Hurt but humble. I didn't see a single hand. Church must be a rough place. <laughs> James 4, 6 says, God gives, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we can be humble and exercise humility through our hurt, God can heal us quickly, and we come out the other side as overcomers, stronger, better, more compassionate. <clears throat> I was thinking... <clears throat> um, when we get a firm foundation... In Jesus Christ. The songs that we're singing, what Pastor Tim was up here saying this morning, it's like, oh my goodness, he, he's building a platform for me. It's like understanding our identity. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. And when we mature in our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High, recognizing, yes, I am a son, that as a son, I can be correctable. Everybody say correctable. As a son, I can be humble. As an orphan, I can be prideful. 
Just think about this. Now, when something happens, when you're offended by somebody in the church, when somebody even, even, even trying to be joking or trying to be funny just says something stupid that absolutely, trying to be funny, and I have, it seems like every time I try to be funny, I stick one foot or the other in my mouth, and, and they're both size 12, so it's like, oh. Lynn, just stop it. Edify, encourage, build up. Don't try to be funny. It's like Don Christensen <laughs> when he was in China and running around with a, a little Chinese guy that was his, a little Chinese guy that was his guide, and, and Don was trying to make jokes, and finally he just looked at him and says, Mr. Don, you're not so funny of guy. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, yeah. And Renee tells me the same thing. <laughs> She's just not so funny. Why don't you quit? So, <clears throat> see, you know, when, when offense comes and, and, and somebody says something that, that's just like, oh, man, that was hurtful. The first thing I do now, seek to understand, then to be understood. Like, where is, where is that coming from? What, huh? Why did she say it? Why did he say that? Where, wow. Okay. How can I pray for him? Or how, how can I pray for her? Because she or he is definitely hurting. Something has happened in their life that's definitely got them crossed up, cross-wired, something. What, what can I do to help here rather than our, what I call it is the magnifying mirror response when uh, if, if, if like my wife were to say something mean to me. Now, this, this home thing is a little bit different than all the rest. <laughs> I, have two, I have two choices in how I would respond. And I can become that magnifying mirror where what she says to me and the way that she says it to me, I can get it right back, only I can magnify it so it goes back harder, harsher, meaner, badder. Or I can, like, wow, where did that come from? What? She, she's had a bad day. I need to pray for her. It's like, you had to pray for her too, Colleen? <laughs> hurt but humble. Hurt but humble. When we approach a hurt, and when we approach a situation like that, with humility, then God's in it. Then we truly are a son because we're hearing from Holy Spirit as to how to navigate this situation rather than hearing from the enemy because pride just rose up in me because you hurt my feelings, you said something you should not have said, and retribution is at hand. <laughs> Oh, see, that's God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, when we can enter a situation like that and say, "What? wow, wow, Lord, help me here. Holy Spirit, I need some guidance and I need some direction here. I need to hear from you as to how, rather than getting my button pushed, letting my pride rise up because my feelings have been hurt. Are you with me? You know, it really is 
a matter of pride, typically. Because you hurt my feelings, and I am not going to stand for that. I don't deserve that. And you're going to get it. Luke 18, 13, uh, 14. This is kind of one of those, even if you back up a little bit. Let's start at verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, not extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing off afar, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be abased. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God will take up His cause. When we take up our cross, He will take up our cause. Last? No, not last. I want to read two more. Second Timothy uh, chapter 2. 24, 26. A gentle servant. This is what Paul is laying out for Timothy, what a servant is supposed to be. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth I just say truth in love, truth in love. We are to be those who share truth in love and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive to do his will. Having been taken captive, captives by the devil to do his will. What did Jesus come for? To free the captives. To free the captives. So when we're listening to him, our job is to free the captives. Set the captives free. Yeah, I think that would... Okay, the last scripture that I have, and we're going to be closing right after that, is Ephesians 5.21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, that as believers... As family members, as brothers and sisters, believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ Himself, that we are to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And when I say submit to one another, it's like, you know, when we are about encouraging, edifying, build one, building one another up, but we see someone who has slipped, fallen, is slipping, is standing on shaky ground, 
we should be able to go to them, tell them what we see, and we should be able to receive that with humility. And then one, then two things, two things should happen. It's like, if someone has come to me and shared something that they've seen in my life, it's like, whoa, you, and it's like, I should also hear, there should be a confirmation in my spirit between them, me, and Holy Spirit. So when two people, when I, when I hear somebody share with me, and that comes into alignment with the Holy Spirit, I need to fix it. Because sometimes he indeed will use a brother or sister, not just a pastor, to speak into your life, and we need to submit to one another in reverent fear of the Lord. Does this make sense? All right, let's stand then. Father, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence this morning, what we got to experience through worship and the words that you gave that were shared, the prophetic words from the visions that, that you shared this morning that we got to hear. I thank you for the obedience of those two ladies coming up and sharing what you had for us this morning. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for each one, each one that's gathered here this morning. And I pray that you would continue to stir our hearts, that you would continue to soften our hearts, that we could be hurt but humble. That when things come our way, because things are going to come our way, that we can end up having the grace and the love to accept correction in your name by your spirit and I pray that you would strengthen and encourage each one that's gathered here and bless them throughout this entire week make your face to shine upon them and give them your peace in the mighty name of Jesus Amen I'm going to invite the prayer team up here if there's a need in your life I just encourage you to come, come, come. I believe that God has already done some healing this morning, but if you'd like Him to seal the deal, to lay hands on you, if you'd like Him to lay hands on you to stir up that gift that's in you, you need a little more stirring or a refreshing even this morning, I encourage you, come on up. Lord bless you. Have a fabulous week.